This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. In this town, there is no off-season. The news never stops, and neither do we. It's always game day in Cleveland with Andy Baskin and Daryl Leiter. It's always game day in Cleveland, brought to you locally by Smiley One. Heating, cooling, and plumbing. Bryant and Smiley One, the right choice for your comfort. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. We hope everyone's having a great Thanksgiving break here, and we hope you get to enjoy time with your family and your friends, and you get to eat some good food, and you're safe on the roads, and everybody can take a, a moment and reflect on where we are in life. I guess that's the big, deep, philosophical way to start the show today, Daryl. How you feeling about that? I can say, you're getting deep. Getting deep. That's why we have shovels for the snow, oh, <laughs> or maybe for something else, or snowblowers. Oh, Daryl. So listening to Kevin Stefanski again on what on Wednesday, okay. and trying to just—I I understand the guy is focused on one game at a time. And I'll be honest with you, if you were an NFL head coach, you would do the same thing. The problem is, is that as we look at what this team is all about, I'm—I'm I'm trying to find some positive, and I'm trying to look at the areas of the team that are successful. And then I look at that in terms of how many seasons have been wasted this year. So let's kind of dive into that for the first couple segments here. And then later in the show, we are going to talk about the dome stadium thoughts and is it doomed? So we'll get into that a little bit later in the podcast. First, let's start with that general question about what is working right and what coaches are making a difference on this team to try to make them better. I know we talk about Kevin Stefanski being the CEO. We spend a lot of time about that. We talk about Joe Woods, too. Uh, we, we talk about Van Pelt, too. But it's like he's not really there because the head coach calls the play. So what areas are working and where should they be building from within? Well, first off, I, I obviously the run game, right, which comprises right. the running backs and uh, the offensive line. And I say that realizing that they've not had uh, the best performances the last couple of weeks. I think injuries up front have certainly uh, played a part in that. I mean, Yelda Froholt wasn't even available for Wednesday's practice due to an illness. I expect him to play Sunday, but when you're stepping into a position that, I mean, they already had one fumble at ex- exchange in Detroit uh, against Buffalo, like Froholt needs as many of those snaps as possible. And granted, you know, having an illness, that's something that's really out of your control, but you know, look, those are um, those are invaluable reps that they're unable to get uh, during practice. But um, th- I-, I think that those are the two strongest areas. And-, and and I know you brought up Alex Van Pelt, and I realize he doesn't coach the or call the plays on game day. But um, look, I think the passing game's been pretty good this year. Yeah, uh, you-, you know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. um, uh, Amari Cooper, obviously, been fantastic. Jacoby Brissett, you look at what he's been able to do uh, stepping in what was a very difficult situation. I, I mean, he's completing a career high 64.4% of his passes this year. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, and that's a significant. No one problem. expected that Daryl. Right. Nobody. Uh, Nobody. I, I mean, maybe he did just because of, uh, you know, what, what his own personal expectations are. 
But when you look at his career numbers, Andy, he's never completed more than 62% of his passes uh, in, in any, you know, real given uh, starting stretch for him. So yeah, he, he's been fantastic, but and that, that, unfortunately, I think that that's where the, the positive vibe ends, right? I, I mean, there's, there, there's unfortunately not a whole lot of good things to say about what's going on defensively w- with any of the units, so the secondary, the linebackers, or even the, the defensive line. So I, I do think that you bring out a good point with all three of the guys. So we, we just talk about Miles and Jacoby um, and Amari Cooper. And I, I look and I, I, I'm haunted by that picture of seeing Miles Garrett on the bench sitting there all by himself at the end of the game. And I, it just doubles down on the wasted season. I mean, we're, we're, Joe Thomas just, you know, it looks like he's going to make it to the Hall of Fame. That guy was a wasted career. And I don't want to watch those anymore. And Joe deserved better. He really did. For the effort that he put out and the pain that he played in and, and all those things, Joe deserved better. And, and, you know, you look and, okay, I get the Jacoby Brissett part of it because he was brought in for one year. And, and we all kind of see what what's the deal. I hope he's here for a long time. Because, I, I mean, I would trust him with the ball going back out on the field. I don't expect him to win games late, but I do know he can orchestrate your offense and keep you moving. And I think he's learned throughout the season, too, to live to see another day. And you talked about his passing percentage numbers being at an all-time high. It's because I think he's become a better quarterback as the season has progressed. And I do think that they wasted 11 games with him, um, whether it was the shortcomings of special teams or the shortcomings of, of the defense or him putting him in a position to have to – make a play when he's really not comfortable in that situation, not, not, not uh, shaping the offense to a place where he can be successful. It's like going to the office and not having a piece of paper or a pen or a computer in front of you. And I think the Browns did that to him early on in the season. And then, you know, so you talk about miles Garrett, you talk about Amari Cooper um, and Jacoby Brissett as three wasted seasons. And that's where it feels like we're at right now unless some sort of miracle happens. And by the way, that would mean the playoffs start this week Yeah, for well, us, for yeah, Cleveland. I, I mean, when when you look at the Browns since 1999, and, and I'll, I'll I'll pause with Miles Garrett, the pre, I call it the pre-Miles Garrett Browns Mount Rushmore since 1999 when you talk about wasted careers. Phil Dawson, right. wasted, yep, Phil Dawson. You know, wasted career. Um, Joe Thomas, you already mentioned him. Joe Hayden. Josh and Josh Cribbs, like th- those four guys, unfortunately, they-, they played in the wrong era. How good would this team be if those four guys were on this year's team? It- it- you know what I'm saying? I'll throw one more in there, too, and you tell me if I'm crazy. Tim Couch was wasted. I think if they would have yeah. more support well, around him, he would have had the career that he, he would have been way more successful. I-, I won't say wasted for him. I'll use ruin. Fair. They ruined him. Be- you know what I'm saying? Like, he never he he never had a fighting chance, so so I, I can't. There's no reason he couldn't have been the Josh Allen of that draft. I, not disputing that. I'm just saying yeah. though, it was just such a cluster mess that he never had a fighting chance. So I, it's hard for me to say that they wasted his career. I think they more they more ruined it than they did waste it. But when you look at this current Browns team, right, Miles Garrett, Joel Batonio, who on his current trajectory should be Hall of Fame-worthy consideration when he's all done playing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick Chubb, who is in the top three or four in rushing every single year since being with the Browns, wasting another year of him. Um, uh, 
and I'm going to add Denzel Ward in there because he's a draft, you know, draft pick, a couple of Pro Bowls under his belt. Right. You know, he's he's getting wasted too. So, yeah. And then, um, you wasted Brissett in the sense that I don't think anybody expect outside of Jacoby Brissett and and maybe Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski organizationally. Uh, kudos to them if they saw this level of play in their crystal ball, but. I mean, Brissett's been fantastic. He's been everything and then some. I mean, he was talking about on Wednesday that, yeah, you know, I, I don't deserve praise for doing my job. Like, this is what I signed up for. I, you know, I, I really wish you guys would stop mentioning that this is my last start um, and, 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 and things like that. But it's like the expectation is this is the last start that he's going to make uh, for the Browns Sunday uh, against uh, the Buccaneers. I mean, if you know, one thing kind of irritated me from Kevin Stefanski on Wednesday, you know, because Brissett was asked, "Hey, do you think you've you know proven that you should be a starter in the NFL?" And he said, "Of course, yeah, I I, I believe I have, and my performance speaks to that, et cetera, et cetera." And so Kevin Stefanski, you know, given a softball, uh, a, a nice little alley oop to dunk home, and he just he booted it when he was asked about it. And he's like, well, you know, we're, that's not Jacoby's focus. And that ain't my focus either. You know, and that's what I love about Jacoby is he's focused on the here and now we can't be thinking about. And like that, that was an easy opportunity for you to say, you know what? Yeah. Jacoby really was fantastic for us this year. And he is deserving of a starting, uh, op, opera. You know, is that the sentiment in the room too? Cause I, oh, I heard oh, that too. Honor, and I was like, why don't you just yeah. say good things about a guy. It, it, and it and it goes back to the we've talked about it and and I say it lovingly tongue in cheek but I do feel like that there's some merit behind what I am saying when it comes to Stefanski you don't have to be a robot all the time you can show some some humanity um, and I, I and I don't know if that. Um, you know, I, I don't know how he is behind the scenes with players. Um, you know, we see those clips that the team will post on social media, the, the victory speeches or whatever, which I, I got to be honest with you. Uh, the next victory speech Kevin Stefanski gives that gets me fired up wanting to run through a brick wall will be the first one. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just it, it, I do think that there is something to be said for that robotic nature that he projects all the time and that's i think sometimes you got to reel that in a little bit and you got to show that a, a, a little bit of personality like it's okay like no nobody's gonna dunk on you if you laugh a little and yet you know show that you're you enjoy the players that you're coaching and the the, the coaches that you coach with and you enjoy what you do right, right? Um, and I know he enjoys what he does, of course. I mean, he wouldn't be in the profession if he if he didn't enjoy what he did. But show it, you know what I'm saying? Like show show a little. And this is and and I want to be very very clear. You know, Bill Belichick, and we and we've talked about this as well. Like he's not Mister Personality. I mean, my God, watching paint dry are, is more entertaining to listen than listening to Bill Belichick answer questions. That's not what this is about. But when you see like behind the scenes footage of Bill Belichick, what do you see? He's laughing with players. He's he's very human with them. He's not the robot that he projects to the media. Does that make sense? No, I know it, and I know it firsthand because, I mean, I know it's been a long time, but I did a long sit-down interview with him. And, you know, I think if he didn't feel like – and especially because he was young, still young in his career, but he – and this was after, you know, after the team had moved and they were playing in a Hall of Fame game, and it was preseason, and 
man, he could not have been any more accommodating, nicer. And I mean, I'm sure, you know, obviously there's been things that have happened since then, but you could see it and I got it. And I understood why, why he is successful because I, I understand that on to Cincinnati and stuff like that. I get all that stuff. <laughs> he's probably right. You know, he's yeah. right, but of course he's right. I mean, Kevin Stefanski is right about a lot of he's that. trying to do that. But I also think that if you're like that consistently, you don't hear the chimes that are coming out of that locker room right now. Yeah. That's, you know, that, that's the, the issue. It's not, it's, it's not Kevin Stefanski, the head coach. It's Kevin Stefanski, the leader. Yeah. And the person and, and yeah. there's, there's, Look, I, and maybe it's I, more than I, him. I could say that too. Maybe he's taking directives and he's just executing the orders from what he's hearing from other people in the building. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, when he said Paul DePodesta is an integral part of our game plan the other day, I mean, it was close to saying that. I'm paraphrasing, right? Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, there were people that were like, what do you mean? Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, look, I get the bunker mentality that you have to, that you have to have when you're, uh, a head coach, right? You can't, you can't worry about what's already happened because there's nothing you can do to change it or fix it or make it, you know, make it any different and you have to full steam ahead. But also I think that there's something to be said for the willingness to show that you can come out of the bunker a, a, a little bit like that's I, I think that there is a little something to be said for that. And I wish Kevin Stefanski would not be so afraid sometimes to come out of that bunker, show that you're free you know, like show that you're you're frustrated a little bit. You know what I'm saying? You understand where I'm going with that? Absolutely. So- I, I totally get it. Let's talk more about that in a second. And I also want to get into um there's some other stuff I want to get into, especially with Tom Brady coming to town this weekend. So we're gonna talk about that and we're also gonna talk about why the dome might be doomed. And that's coming up later in the show. It's always game day in Cleveland. If you like what you're listening to, subscribe to the podcast. It's always game day in Cleveland brought to you locally by Smiley One Heating, Cooling, and Plumbing. Bryant and Smiley One, the right choice for your comfort, especially now during the winter when you got to turn the heat up a little bit. Um, this was a question that I brought up to you at the end of our show on what was Wednesday. that Wednesday? And I, I said to you, does the season reset for Kevin Stefanski once Deshaun Watson says hike? What do you think? I think it does a little bit. Um, I had been saying for a couple of days now that it, I just kind of get, I get the, the feeling that like, he knows he's safe. Like he's, he's not going anywhere and, and that's okay. But it, this was an opportunity lost as we have been talking about. They blew it. This could be a playoff team right now had the defensive side and the special teams unit held up their end of the bargain. And I thought that. And and I looked it up. Uh, it was it, it was funny. Um, I remember uh, texting with someone playing the schedule game, and I texted this person. I said, "There's a real chance the Browns could be three and eight when Deshaun Watson takes the field." But and the premise behind me feeling that way was because of Jacoby Brissett. I think everybody. I agree. That's funny because I think the thing that we've been talking about as you. You know, Jacoby Brissett's last start, at least barring some kind of, you know, right. something that goes off the wall. Off the, the expectation rails. is this is his last start. of this And season. I think that's probably the best way. To, I mean, again, he's one snap away from being the starting quarterback again mm-hmm. once the team goes down to Houston. Um, yeah. So I don't finish that thought. I'm sorry. But but I mean, he, you know, Brissett has Brissett has exceeded the expectations. And that's why I really am harping so much on the disappointment in the coaching staff, the disappointment in the players on the defensive side of the ball, 
and the lack of fundamental execution on special teams because I really feel like that this was a missed opportunity because Brissett has been better than I expected. And I want to make it clear, like I'm not taking shots at Jacoby here. Okay. Uh, right. He is a great, great guy. And you can see why his teammates absolutely love him. All right. But the fact of the matter is he's been a career backup quarterback since coming into the league. And most of his starts have come as the result of unique circumstances and filling in for quarterbacks. Okay. So, and he came to the Browns not to be, uh, and I wrote this Wednesday uh, when I wrote about Jacoby being Jacoby and, and talking about, I shouldn't be praised just for going out there and do my job. Like, what did you expect that I wasn't going to go out and do my job? I'm just doing my job here. So it, it's not, like I've done anything above and beyond, but, but from my standpoint, yeah, he has been above and beyond on the field. Um, he, he, there's only one of these games that he has started Andy, where you say, yeah, Jacoby stunk like that, that, and that was the new England game, right? That's yep. the only game. Now there, we, we've been able to nitpick a few situations or whatever. And he even mentioned on Wednesday, even re regarding the, the, the loss to the bills, he said, Hey, you know, uh, th there were opportunities that I missed, so I have to, I'm accountable for that. There were chances we only scored two touchdowns in that game, and there were opportunities for us to score more than two touchdowns, and so I have to take responsibility for that. That I, I did not do enough, and you certainly respect that. But he's not the reason the Browns are three and seven. So that's why it's so frustrating when you think about where the Browns are today is number one, the front office pushed all the chips to the center of the table by acquiring Deshaun Watson and giving up the draft capital they did, right? Two, the young players that Andrew Barry drafted are not exactly setting the world afire, so that's somewhat problematic. Uh, and uh, number three, going back to, again, missed opportunity. And, you know, the opportunity there was there, I should say, for them to be better than they actually are right now. And as I look into the future, uh, the future is not as bright as I thought it was because the questions enter my mind. Hey, Andy, guess what? Maybe this roster isn't as good as we thought it was. And if that's the case, things get real challenging for Andrew Barry as the EVP and GM here to fix it come the offseason. Deshaun Watson will cover some warts. True. But he can't play defensive tackle. He can't play linebacker. He can't play safety. He can't play nickel or dime corner. Like, I, so that's why I am very realistic in my expectation. But yeah, I, I think that the reset button kind of gets it. And Kevin Stefanski has to show over those final six games he can maximize the talent that he has in Deshaun Watson because I will ask you this. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that Kevin Stefanski and his coaching staff have maximized the talent that they have been given? No, I don't. I, and I don't know if it's it, – it, it's the defensive side of the ball and it's the rumblings that you hear about not making adjustments. And I just don't it, – it, it's self-destruction. And I also think that – Special teams have destroyed this team at, at certain points. Yeah, they got them a win with a long kick in the first week of the season, and I'm all for that. But, you know, they've had to get more out of special teams. Like, I just don't understand how you could have 
three kicks blocked in one season. I, I like that doesn't happen to normal NFL teams. You see the problem, you correct it. Maybe it happens again, but you know exactly what the problem is. But it's happening over and over again, or you know, onside kick, or just little thing. It it's the attention to detail, and I wonder. I wonder if, how much the atmosphere in Berea affects the attention to detail. You know what I'm saying? Like it's mm-hmm. not attention to detail is 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 not a it's not it, it's not talent driven, right? It's it's psychological more than anything. And guys that know how to win and understand that that there's that theory and that whole kind of it's an aura that you carry with yourself when you walk into the room and you believe you're going to win and you believe that everyone around you is on the same page and that you're all focused on the same goal. Yeah. Well, if you look and at on the defense, defense, I don't feel that at all. I was just going to say, if you look at the defense right now, do you think that there's any belief that they're going to shut down Tom Brady? This no, week? because the chatter that's come out of this, out of the locker room over the last two weeks has been ridiculous. Someone's got to put their foot. Like, I, I wonder if Kevin Stefanski saying like, let's just say the Miles Garrett stuff and about practice, right? I mean, Miles said it, it's out there, we know. And then I think Kevin said in a press conference, I'm going to have to talk to him about that, right? Didn't he say that? He did. How do you get to the point where a player, especially a star player, is questioning something, and then the coach said, well, we'll have to talk about that. And then... And also the solution is to talk to the player about what the player said rather than actually fixing the problem. Yes, exactly right. You're, And by the way, this is the NFL, right? I'm still trying to figure out how that there can be a communication problem at this level. Like it just doesn't, it's mind boggling to me. It's baffling. And it, to me, it's, it's, it's human element, right? Like that conversation between, excuse me, between miles and Kevin should have never been played out in public. And if the coaching staff is on it, they understand the frustration of their star player. They should understand all of his frustration and should be hopping on that before it becomes a problem. It's like washing your face before you get a zit, right? Wash your face, you're not going to get the zit. Leave it alone, ignore it, all of a sudden you're like, oh, what is this thing on my face, right? I mean, I can't can't think of a better analogy than the (laughs) communication there and the zit. And by the way, let's pop that zit and start winning. Clean it up. Clean a little little alcohol. (laughs) Good to go. I, but as soon as you mentioned it, I knew you were going down the pop the zit. <laughs> so what Andy Baskett is telling you is that the Browns have a lot of zits on defense. They need to pop. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is they need to wash their face so they don't have to go out and execute them. That's what it's all about. Just wash your face before it becomes a problem. That's so, what it's all about, especially with a star. Yeah, Miles so Garrett is a star. You got to clean that up before it ever happens. So do the does Tom Brady throw for 400 yards and uh, the, the Buccaneers run for another dollar fifty on the Brownies uh, on Sunday? Do you think? Tell me how practice went this week. Well, I don't you know. Everybody we, compl- no, I'm just, I'm just saying we'll find that they, out. On they, they were bumping the atomic dog and um, they stretched really well during the portion that was open to reporters. But you Damn know what? Got, so we won't have any cramping. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, the Browns are really good at stretching. They're good at stretching. If there's one thing that they do well, stretching. That's great to know. Great to know. All right, why is the Dome doomed? That's next on It's Always Game Day in Cleveland. If you like what you're listening to, subscribe to the podcast. It's Always Game Day in Cleveland. He's Daryl. I'm Andy. We get set for the Browns as they take on the Tampa Bay Bucks 
on Sunday. Also speaking of Bucks, Ohio State, Michigan on Saturday, but we're not going to talk about that here. Um, Daryl, we started this conversation before we went out of the podcast. We were talking about a dome stadium, a retractable stadium, which is what I've always wanted in this town. And you said, mm, don't think so. Why is the dome doomed? Money, money, money. The the, the prices of, of stadium construction are just like exploding across the country. Um, you know, the Buffalo Bills, it's $1.2 billion to build an, a brand new open air stadium. Uh, down in Tennessee, uh, they're looking at close to uh, $2 billion for the, for the Titans, for their dome. Um you you mentioned retractable roof. Well, that costs even more money than just a dome. On top of that, so it, it it's it's money. Um, I I just I actually don't think there's any way you would do. You, you you almost have to go retractable for the return on investment. I just again, if you go back and build a new open air football stadium in Cleveland, okay, mm-hmm. how many events are you going to have? Unless you you suddenly have an MLS team that's in there or somebody else that can use the venue, they just don't use the venue enough. That venue needs to be used more often, more days, more hotel rooms, more concessions, more of everything. My if we would have had this this for, the foresight when they built the stadium that we currently have, it would have been a lot cheaper and it would have made a lot more sense. Well, back then, yeah. Um and here, here's here's the again the money issue, and let me explain why it's an issue. Remember when the Cavaliers asked for seventy million dollars to uh, uh, transform right and Quicken Loans Arena, now Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, right? Right. And there was a segment that just lost their minds, okay, over that public contribution of seventy million. Uh, never mind that the Cavaliers were uh, splitting the cost. And then ended up paying more on top of that because they wanted to do some other stuff. So they they covered overruns and, and changes and stuff like that. The Guardians, Progressive Field. Again, people unhappy, $200 million in, in state, county, and city tax money to uh, refurbish that ballpark. Okay? People not happy with that. So two facilities getting $270 million in public money, and there's a lot of people unhappy that that complex. Now, I would argue the gateway complex, the ballpark and arena, most significant economic impact on the city of Cleveland in the last 50 years, okay? And you have to continue to maintain and and keep these buildings up to date. And so to do that and extend the life of those buildings, it's costing the, the, the public portion 270 million dollars just for that complex alone right well remember when the brown stadium right a hundred percent now you're talking two billion dollars if you were to build a ballpark and arena complex today brand new you're talking two to two and a half billion dollars to do that today so for as angry as people are that 270 million in public money went to that complex or is going to go to that complex, right? Uh, to keep these teams here. Well, what in the hell are people going to say if the Haslam's come out and say, yeah, we would like 2 billion with a capital B to build a new dome uh, for the Cleveland Browns. It will get used year round, but it, okay. You see what I'm saying now, depending what needs to come with that dome, it, 
that's like starting price, by the way. That's like going to the car dealership. You buy the basic model, and then if you want the options built in, the, the price goes up and up. Same thing here with the stadium, and it's part of the reason the Browns are in the position they are with this stadium is because it was a bargain basement stadium as it was built. So much stuff got cut out of the initial design because of cost overruns. So now looking into the future, well, they're, they're, they're pretty limited in what you can do with that building going forward. And, and when you look at the business of the national football league, and, and I hear this from Browns fans all the time, Andy, that that'll travel and go to other stadiums. And they say, man, the don't to your point, the domes, they love the domes around the league and wish the Browns had them because they're just so beautiful and nice and they're comfortable and all the amenities that those facilities have, et cetera, et cetera. But it comes down to cost. Now, the Haslam's, quite frankly, can afford to build their own dome. They got a reported, they're, or they're getting a reported $11 billion or so in that sale of Pilot Flying J to Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway. So I, it, I could very easily sit here as we have this conversation and just say, hey, yeah, just build it yourself, Haslam's. That's your civic duty. You should build a dome for the Cleveland Browns to play in, whatever. But here's what happens now. If the Haslam's were to do that, and and let's just say for the sake of this discussion, they were that they they say, you know what? The only public uh, assistance we're looking for is the infrastructure, you know, utilities, roads, high wall, that kind of stuff. public handles that we're going to build the dome and we're going to pay for it. Our, we'll pay for the stadium ourselves. And this is this happens in California all the time. It happened in Columbus for nationwide, too. Right. Because in California, they don't allow public money for stadiums. So the Rams had to build all those new stadiums and ballparks and arenas that are in the state of California. That All those are private finance. The public contribution is just the infrastructure around those facilities. So, But what happens is now the Haslam's then will naturally, ticket prices are going to go through the roof. Concession prices are going to go through the roof. Uh, and uh, amenity prices, whatever those might right, going to go through the roof. And then what happens? Browns fans are going to moan and complain that the, the ordinary Joe fan has been priced out of the new stadium, right? Now, that, keep in mind, the Haslam's are not running a charity here. The Cleveland Browns are a multi-billion dollar business, along with the 32 other entities of the National Football League. So that is why I really feel like the Dome is dead. Because it's right now, and this is in 2022, we're having this conversation. So if it's $2 billion now, starting price tag for the base model dome is $2 billion, what's it going to be in three and four years down the road when they actually begin the construction of said dome? You see what I'm saying? So that's the challenge that I think that the Haslam's have. And ultimately, I think they're going to have to settle for and I and I don't I don't mean that I'm not being snide or sarcastic, but I really feel like they're just going to have to settle for another over expensive renovation to First Energy Stadium to try and squeeze in some of these modern amenities because a new stadium's a billion two starting cost just based off of what Buffalo's going to pay, right? And then if you want a roof over it, well, that's another eight hundred million dollars on top of that. Oh, and if you want anything else thrown into the package, any uh, you know deluxe options, well, that the price goes up and up and up. And then if you to your point about the retractable roof, and I'm team retractable roof too, I think that'd be great. Give the Browns a little home field advantage if they want to, you know, if they want to play in the cold or the snow or whatever. Great, you can close the roof and have uh, other events throughout the year. You're probably looking at two and a half 
billion dollars. And let's again just to throw scenarios out. Let's say the Haslam's say we'll go 50-50 on it, right? We'll pay for half of it. We need the 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 public investment to be the other half. So let's say it's two billion. Well, the public investment needs to be a billion dollars. Is there that kind of money in Northeast Ohio? I, I don't think so. I, I mean that respectfully. So that's why I something really would be that. taxed. Something would have to get taxed to to raise that. Something more would have to get taxed. So the more conversations I have with people about this situation, the more I just I don't know that a dome's realistic. I honestly believe, for the betterment of the city, uh, it needs to be a dome or a retractable roof. I just I don't know it's feasible, and I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you: building a brand new stadium makes no sense to me. It makes no sense because what's the point of building something new without a roof on it? You're you're basically in the same boat that you're in with First Energy Stadium. So whatever structural uh, issues that they may uh, find as they go through these audits of, of the stadium, uh, you got to fix you know, you're, you're going to fix those, and you know that's going to be it's like a house, right? You have a house that needs foundation work. That's probably the most expensive part of the project because you got to fix that uh, foundation work. Then once you get that done, then you're talking all the, the all the other, you know, stuff. Um, the the field clubs you see in these domes, right? Where there's at field level, there's yeah. a club there. There's people standing around. It, there's like suites. Uh, they look like suites at yeah. field level. I'm super, I wouldn't. I'm kind of surprised the new fields don't drop the field down so the suites can be. Right. Well, the, well, the almost the like produce, is, is it produce basketball? Well, the reason basketball. they don't do that is because of people in the way. Because remember when the arena opened in '94? Yeah, they had that situation. They actually had to build up the basketball floor because the people sitting in the first row couldn't see what was going on. <laughs> so they had yes, to you know what I'm saying is, and they did this at Ohio Stadium. They dropped yeah. the field, and like I yeah. like I would think that new fields are going to get dropped. Well, it's so, so you can far. have that first row of suites. It's probably about five to seven feet higher than the field yeah. and so yeah. rather than seats you'd have you know you'd have like a like a raised area there but when you look at first energy stadium it's half a service level it goes from the uh north east corner of the dog pound wraps mm -hmm. around the lake you know north side lakeside comes around to the west side and then it terminates when you get to the the, the southwest side there right so it's only half a service level um on the north side of the stadium, that's all the stadium support stuff. That's the, the for television trucks and broad, broadcast and, and delivery, all 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 those things. That's the north side of the stadium. Yeah. The western side of the stadium is where all the locker rooms are. And where the Browns would really love to put a field club on that west side, guess what they blow out if they put a club in there? The Browns locker, locker room. Yeah, they'd have to put the locker rooms. <laughs> so there's all these inherent issues. And then – can you dig out the the southern side of the stadium and underpin that? And again, that's hundreds of millions of dollars to do. And something you've got structural that. issues there too on right. a landfill. Let's not forget this is all built on garbage. It's it's man made land. I I call it man made land. Um, it's garbage. But it so that that is all those issues. What the Browns, the city of Cleveland, county, state, when it gets to that that level, that's what they're going to be wrestling with. That's a lot of stuff. And there are no easy answers other than it's going to cost a ton of money. So unless unless the Haslam's are very, very generous people and they are willing to spend a, a billion or two out of their own pockets to build the thing while at the same time keeping the ticket 
costs in that down where they are now, right? And let it be right. a loss leader for them financially. I just, I don't see it happening because if they do it themselves, if they pay for it themselves and they raise the, and I understand why fans get upset about the, the, the ticket prices being raised, mostly because the product on the field has not coincided with the, the raises, right? People right. I think will pay premium dollars to see a premium product uh, on the field. But I, I just I, I feel like they're in a tough spot uh, financially, um, and when you're talking about going through all of these scenarios. So I'd like to see a dome. I think they need a dome, whether it's retractable or not. I just, from a financial standpoint, and again, things are going to get more expensive as we get down the road. I just no, I don't right. see I you're don't right. see a path for it to happen. I really don't. I hope I'm wrong. I don't, I don't mean to. Be, we'll see what happens down there. I don't mean to be Mr. Doom and Gloom on the dome. That's all right. We said it was a domed, doomed stadium. So but, that's uh, what it feels like in this in this podcast. Who knows? Somewhere down the road, maybe it'll change. Daryl have a fantastic. Little, what? Sorry. Go ahead. Just trying Finish. to bring a little realism to things. I just keep it. I real. hear you. Unfortunately, when I keep it real, it's never good. <laughs> no, I want you to keep it real while you're eating turkey. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin for our fabulous producer, Meredith Kane. Thank you so much. Everybody have a great Thanksgiving. We'll be back with you for postgame on Sunday after the Browns take on the Tampa Bay Bucks. Daryl, happy Thanksgiving to you. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Andy, and all of our uh, listeners out there. We appreciate you more than you know. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for the uh, the stars and the ratings and all those things, and hope you're able to celebrate the holidays safely with uh, your family. And friends. It's always game day. It's-